Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and as we get into Friday, it's been a bit of a crazy week. Pro Football Talk in their afternoon shorter podcast. Just last week, they talked about the top untradeable players. And right after mentioning Russell Wilson as the guy behind Patrick Mahomes, Chris Sims went on to bring up a rumor about the Seahawks and Browns being involved in trade talks in that 2018 season that would have got the Seahawks the first pick overall that year. It was a rumor that he apparently gave no cares about at the time that he didn't even bother looking into it. So now, after that report came out last week in their podcast, uh, we got to see some of the headlines start to roll. And it, it's been interesting, some of the competing headlines that we've seen. From foxnews.com, Seahawks tried trading Russell Wilson to the Browns in 2018 for number one overall pick in NFL draft. But then there's another headline from cbssports.com says that the Browns reportedly offered the number one pick for Russell Wilson in 2018 trade talks with the Seahawks. So these two headlines can't even get straight what direction it's even going. So I'm not sure how much investigation is even going on into the report now, two years down the road. I even saw one site that had it twisted to the point saying that the Seahawks almost, that they almost traded Wilson to the Browns. So that wasn't even part of the initial report by Sims. Now, did the Seahawks potentially talk to the Browns leading up to the draft where they maybe discussed what it would take for either the Browns to get Wilson or for the Seahawks to give up Wilson to the Browns. Just knowing what we know of John Schneider, that is entirely possible. And the, and the thing is, is I wish that was the craziest part of this week, but Thursday evening, Quentin Dunbar, the cornerback that the Seahawks traded a fifth round pick for is now in serious legal trouble as the Miramar, Florida police have issued an arrest warrant for Dunbar, as well as DeAndre Baker from the Giants. Dunbar's charged with four counts of armed robbery with a firearm, and the Seahawks, in response, issued a statement saying, we are aware of the situation involving Quentin Dunbar and still gathering information. We will defer all further comment to league investigators and local authorities. You can go to fieldgoals.com and there is a link to the full warrant and affidavit that has the details of the incident and uh, heads up that it does not look good for Dunbar. So the Seahawks potentially giving up a fifth round pick for Dunbar that uh, he may not even see the field in 2020. So it would be a loss in terms of draft capital, but I suppose when you consider the overall picture, I'm not so concerned about the fifth round pick and hopefully You know, this is a case of mistaken identity and everything's fine for Dunbar. I I wish the dude well. But uh, if you you go and you read the full warrant, uh, like I said, it does not look good. And what makes it even a a little more wild is the fact that Dunbar had his introductory press conference with the media Thursday morning, which ended up being sandwiched between the alleged incident the night before and having the warrant issued for his arrest Thursday evening. So that's it for some of the crazier news this week. I want to move on to some of the, the, well, much less crazy introductory press conference with Greg Olson. Because it was just last week that he gave his intro to the team, gave his intro to the media, and so I thought it would be good to break that down so we can all 
get to know Greg Olson a little bit better. We know him a lot from his time with the Carolina Panthers and, you know, obviously that being kind of a rivalry between the Seahawks and, and Panthers considering how many times they played together. But I don't think we've got to know Greg Olson so much as the guy. We've seen him as the media personality on TV. But even still, this this gave us an opportunity to get a chance to know some of his philosophy leading into the season and his approach to joining a new team. So let's let's start with some of the basics. Greg Olson, he was drafted by the Chicago Bears with the 31st overall pick in the 2007 draft. And it was that year the Seahawks didn't have a chance to draft him because they used their pick that season to get Dion Branch from the Patriots. And with the Seahawks pick, the Patriots ended up selecting Pro Bowl safety Brandon Merriweather, just seven spots ahead of Olsen. And that was the same draft that Marshawn Lynch went to the Bills. Zach Miller, the former Seahawks tight end, he was drafted by the Oakland Raiders. Sidney Rice, drafted by the Vikings. And Seattle drafted Brandon Meebane that year. And all four of those players, they ended up playing together from 2011 to 2013. So it gives you an idea of some of those names. And the three-time Pro Bowler Greg Olson, he met with the media last week. And considering all the names that I mentioned from that 2007 draft, and there's a lot of names from that draft, they've been retired for a few years now. Calvin Johnson, Joe Thomas, Darrell Rivas, and Patrick Willis. So those are some notable names that came out of that draft too. So leading out of this 2019 season, Greg Olson, he appeared to be setting himself up for his career after the NFL with a career in broadcasting. He was receiving positive reviews, appearing on XFL games just a few months ago. And a lot more people, they they were speculating that he would move on to his next career rather than come back to football, especially having to learn an entirely new offense after being cut by the Panthers. You know, why come back? And that's a question that he got asked a lot from the NFL teams who were calling him. You know, when I got released from Carolina that Monday after the Super Bowl, when I could start um, receiving calls and start kind of go through a little bit, you know, more deeper dive on what opportunities were out there. You know, I got that question a lot. And, and the, the answer I gave the teams is the same answer. I pretty much give everyone. I said, if I wanted to go to TV or if I wanted to move on from football, I could have done it three years ago. You know, I, I've been fortunate to have those opportunities, but you know, I, I, this is, this is really what I like doing. This has really been the passion of my whole life. I've done it since I was a kid. I grew up with this game. And uh, I know I can play. I, I know what I'm capable. I know, you know, what my career, uh, what I've been able to achieve. But there's some things that I still haven't been able to achieve. And, uh, you know, that was really my main message to, to the teams that reached out. And, you know, I, I told them, I said, I'm not just doing this, you know, to collect a paycheck and just extend my career. You know, I, I've done all that. I'm looking to go somewhere and win and perform at a high level and contribute. And I'm not looking to ruin the end, you know, ruin my career's work by just being a shell of myself in year 14. Like if I thought that was the case, I would have retired. Um, but I know what I can still do. I know how my body feels. And, uh, you know, there's nothing that I can't do now that I haven't been able to do, you know, years back. And, and I'm excited to, to join this group. This, this organization has been a group that obviously we have had a lot of history with, uh, especially my years in, in Carolina, but even back my last my last season in Chicago, you know, we played, we played Seattle and um, in the playoffs that year when I was in the bears in 2010. So this is an organization with, with coach Carroll and, and now obviously with Russ and, and, and John Schneider, they, they've put a, 
an organization that doesn't go up and down. They're, they're very consistent. You look at the last decade of work, they're at the top of the list. And uh, that really appealed to me. Um, a lot of the, the traits and the qualities of the Seattle organization were things that I really took pride in and I really valued in my own career. And uh, I just looked at it as too good of an opportunity to not try to join. As far as learning a new offense and all that, I've really enjoyed it. I, I've been really kind of like re-energized. Um, you know, you don't sit in meetings now after 100 years just looking at the clock, waiting for it to get over because you've heard it, you know, a thousand times. So everything I hear now is really the first time I've ever heard it. And there's kind of a sense of, of newness to it that's been really exciting for me. And uh, I love hearing how other people do things. I love trying to blend maybe what I'm used to and now how they want it done and trying to find how that matches together. So it's been, uh, I've really enjoyed that whole process and I, I anticipate enjoying it even more when we obviously can do it in person. Olson said he had a chance to go to places like Washington and Buffalo to work with coaches he had worked with in the past with Sean McDermott in Buffalo and his former head coach now in Washington. So what went into the choice for him to turn down those other teams and come play for a coach like Pete Carroll, a coach that he didn't have that same level of familiarity with. You know, I, I kind of compared it to in high school when you finally are excited that you made your choice of where you were going to go to college. But then my dad made us call all the teams that had been recruiting us and telling them we're not going to come to your school. And those were like the worst part of the process. That was by far the worst part of this process. You know, I have nothing but respect, obviously coach Rivera and, you know, he brought up pretty much the entire staff from Carolina guys that I really grew in this league under and really had strong relationships with. Um, we achieved a lot together. Um, you know, it was hard to call my, my old tight end coach, you know, in from nine years in Carolina and call Pete and, and say, you know, I'm going somewhere else. That was a tough, that was a tough call. And, um, you know, up in Buffalo, I took a visit up there and, Obviously, I, I couldn't have more respect for Sean McDermott. He was a huge part of our success in Carolina early on. And then obviously he got his head coaching opportunity. And the tight end coach in, in Buffalo was the tight end coach. That was my first ever coach in Chicago. You know, He kind of brought me into this league and kind of taught me what the NFL was like. So the only real two guys that I've ever been coached at the tight end position by, one was in Buffalo and one was in Washington. And those were the two teams that, you know, were other possibilities. So. Those were hard conversations. Uh, I really, you know, went back and forth. But at the end of the day, you know, between what Coach Carroll has built here, the consistency, the enthusiasm, every guy that I reached out to and talked to both on the team now or in the past, everybody said the same exact thing. And everything that I had experienced firsthand from playing on the other side against, against him and against this group it really solidified a lot of the, you know, kind of the thoughts that I had about what the organization stood for and what they were all about. Um, and then, of course, obviously, Russell makes a, is a huge factor into that. Um, I've been fortunate to play with Cam for a long time. Now to continue, you know, go play with, you know, arguably the top guy in the league. I've been very fortunate in my career to play with really talented guys at the quarterback position. And, you know, Russ is obviously at the top of that list. Um, you know, I've really enjoyed working with him and he's a great communicator and really shares his thoughts and ideas, but he's also very open-minded to, you know, some things that I've done in the past. And it's been a really, so far, a really nice transition. And it's been a really, really nice kind of back and forth between, um, you know, not only with the players, but, you know, just the entire organization. What's it like for Olsen, not just being a part of a new team, but in a virtual environment? 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's been very different um, from what I've been used to, what everyone's been used to. Um, it doesn't it doesn't make it any easier the fact that you're trying to transition to a new team, a new organization. Uh, this is the first new offense I've learned in a long time. Um, you know, so it would have been a lot easier to obviously do this in person. And that was part of what I was looking forward to. I was looking forward to get out there, you know, a couple weeks back and, you know, just get familiar with the area, get familiar with the guys on the team in the locker room. And then, of course, you know, really be able to dive in, um, you know, on, on the on the offense and on the scheme and, and kind of learn with a little bit more hands on approach. But, um, you know, we just wrapped up our, our meetings. You know, we we're doing the, they're doing a really good job. I think we're getting a lot done. Um, considering the circumstances and, um, you know, through through technology nowadays, you know, you can really have a lot of interaction. You can really have a lot of dialogue and um, they're doing a nice job simulating it. So the whole league is the whole world, I guess, for that matter, is is kind of in the same uh, in the same boat. So we're making the best of it. It's it's not how I pictured it when I signed in, in February, but we're uh, it's not just me. You know, there's tons of guys throughout the league that are adjusting to new teams, new cities, and uh, haven't quite been able to get out there. And maybe even a little bit easier for a veteran like Greg Olson. I can't even imagine what it must be like for some of the rookies now trying to come in and make that transition from college to the pros. But let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we will talk about a little surprise that showed up in his initial meeting with the team. Coach Carroll brought in Will Farrell. And so I want to play some of the clips from that, and we're going to do that after the break. The Seahawks recently started up their virtual meetings since they can't meet as an entire group. They're doing a lot of their meetings virtually. And it was in one of these virtual meetings with the team that Coach Carroll brought in comedian Will Farrell to impersonate Greg Olson as part of the introduction to the team. And I went ahead and cut a few of the highlights from that appearance because we're going to get to hear Olson's reaction to Coach Carroll's stunt. He was drafted uh, by the, the Carolina Panthers. He's been playing tight end for years, been a, a longtime pro bowler. Um, really thrilled and happy to have him uh, be part of what we're doing. And so uh, I want to welcome in uh, Greg Olson. Greg, could you come in and tell the fellas what you're all about? <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Coach, thanks so much. So excited to be here. You know, excited to play with you, Russ. Russ, I love you. I mean, I love you. I love the way you play. I love the way you handle yourself as a human being. I mean, I love you. Let's make a baby. Shoddy, just want to let you know I came here to catch some balls. And uh, that's what I hope to do. In fact, uh, I've been uh, – you know, what I did mostly for Carolina is I drew up all my own plays. So I'm going to be adding a lot to the playbook. Um, this one I just drew up. It's called 90 Go Flywheel Kanye Starburst. Um, so let's get that into the playbook. Remember, no max protection. I don't want – don't stick me back there for max protection. Coach Schneider, just want to let you know, I want to be real clear, I do not do special teams. Not ever. Not if all 52 guys are hurt. Look, I know what you're thinking. I'm an older guy. I'm 36. Uh, but uh, I've, been, I've been working out. Don't worry. I mean, does this look like the body of a 36-year-old? <laughs> I don't think so. The big deal, man. We're proud to have you part of the program. Uh, you might want to work on that core a little bit before you get here. Oh, no, the core's fine. The core's fine. 
it looked like it could use a little bit of work, but that's okay. We'll, we we uh, we we know what you got. We're we're happy to have you. Thanks for coming to us, man. It's all up here. It's all up here, Coach. Apparently, the background research hit a little too close to home for Greg because now he wants to track down the guy who helped Will Ferrell with his character work. I thought he did good. I thought somebody. I got to find out who talked to him because somebody gave him some. Uh, somebody gave him some good insight and some good some good background research. Uh, my core is better than his, which I guess will be good. But uh, I thought it was great. Um, I thought it was really funny. I got a kick out of it. I, I, that was a fun introduction to the group. So with these virtual meetings, what are some of the things that Olson has been learning about so far? You know, we're doing installs, learning terminology, run game, pass game, pass protection, trying to do kind of some virtual walkthrough, kind of simulation type stuff to just get guys engaged, to get guys processing plays. Uh, they're able to share video so we can watch, you know, cut up some tape from from past years to kind of simulate and and put kind of a picture with a with kind of a, bring a piece of paper to life a little bit and, and give some context to the play. So, uh, as I said, they've done a great job. Um, you know, they, they've really made this seamless between the different breakout groups and and how they've handled the, the installs and the reviews. Um, it's, it's been a little combination of everything. And I think uh, I think it's been so far pretty well done. How has this new environment worked for him in making new connections with his teammates, especially in the tight end room? Greg Olson says that most of those connections are going to come when he starts meeting with the players in person. It's not ideal, you know. You would like to really be around those guys and kind of, you know, feel them out and get a feel for the vibe of the room. You know, that's the room you really spend the most time with. You know, when the season comes around, you maybe have four, maybe five guys. It's a small, kind of niche group, um, but a group that carries a lot of responsibility. So it takes special guys to kind of play that position and. Uh, you know, I've been used to being the old guy now for a while. Um, you know, that, that doesn't really change much to me. Uh, it doesn't change really anything at all. Um, and I was very upfront with with the team. You know, I'm always happy and willing to bring along young guys. When I was when I was drafted in Chicago, I had a lot of veterans, both tight ends and other positions, that really looked out for me. They were not afraid. They didn't view me as a threat. They didn't view me as someone trying to take their job. Like. Let's help bring everybody along. And, and those are things that I still feel, you know, those are things that I still cherish today and really appreciate, you know, and at the same time, while I'm going to be an open book and share where I can share and help where I can help, you know, I, I told the team, you know, don't bring me in if you just want me to be like the big brother in the locker room. Like I'm here to play first and foremost, like I'm here to play. I'm here to perform at a high level and contribute. Because I'm a big believer that your voice doesn't really matter if you can't play. And these guys don't care what I did years ago. You know, they want to know what can this guy do now. And I think the quickest way you can earn that respect and earn that validity in the locker room is by going out and playing and showing them what you can still do. And then the mentorship kind of comes from there. Um, that's at least how I approach it. Um, and uh, it's hard to kind of do all that when you're not in person and they can't really get a feel for me. I can't really get a feel for them right now. Everything's kind of just X's and O's coach and install question and answer. Um, a lot of those relationships and stuff will be built in person. Once I get out there, what's something that teammates won't know or even fully appreciate about him until they're actually in the same room with Greg Olson. You know, the thing I always hope that the guys I've played with both in the past and hopefully this locker room now that I join 
I hope if they say one thing about me, it's like when this guy showed up, like he really cares. He cares about his teammates. He cares if he takes his job very seriously. He'll hold himself accountable before anybody else. You know, I just think if you start, I just hope that everyone sees that. And I think especially when you join a new team, like you don't have any, you know, you haven't been able to stash any credits away. You know, like everything I do, this will be the first time they ever see me. I've played against them. They've kind of seen me from the other side of the field, but they've never been in meetings with me. They've never been in a workout with me, a practice, a whatever. And I'm conscious to know that everything I do, that will be the first time they've ever seen me do it. So I hope they walk away and say, this guy takes his job seriously. This guy cares about his teammates. And this guy's all in to win. And this guy's all in at everything he does. And if they say that, everything else will take care of itself. And one of the cool things here, we get to hear a little bit of Olsen's philosophy because he explains how that when going from a quarterback like Cam Newton to a quarterback like Russell Wilson, just how he views his approach on making adjustments to how the quarterback sees what's on the field. I've always viewed my role as, you know, it's, it's my job to adjust and to see things the way the quarterback sees them. It's not the other way around. Um, I've always believed that. So when it was with Cam, I needed to see things through Cam's eyes and I needed to make sure I understood what his mind was thinking, where he was expecting me to be, what reactions and set, you know, and things like that were going to happen based on certain situations. And that came with time and that came with reps. And, you know, we played a long time together and completed a lot of passes together. And I anticipate having that same kind of approach with Russ and, and we've had great dialogue and we've spent a lot of time on calls, just talking through things. And, and I tell him, I say, Hey man, if I don't do things the way you see it or the way you want it done, don't hesitate because just because I think it's right. If you don't see it that way, it doesn't help anybody. You know, it, it has to start skill positions to the quarterback first. And then from there, there can be some back and forth and wiggle room, but you know, especially as the new guy and kind of adjusting to a system that's been in place, you know, I got to do the best I can to absorb everything the way they want it first. Um, Cause I just believe that'll form the reps and the consistency that now you can start to get a feel for one another. And there's a little more natural reaction, a little more kind of just feel on the field. Um, that stuff's hard to talk through. That stuff just happens with reps and experience. And uh, right now, obviously, we don't have that opportunity. Going from one team to another, there's going to be some similarities. There's going to be some differences. Olson talks about one of the major differences is learning the new terminology that he's having to make an adjustment to. I mean, scheme-wise, I think a lot of teams in the league run similar concepts. You know, run game is run game. Um, you know, there's only so many run plays that are run. So from that regard, blocking schemes and, and techniques and all that is fairly similar. But from a terminology perspective, it's it's quite different from just what I've been exposed to for a while. Um, you know, both run and pass games. So again, it's it's we're all saying the same words. We're just you, you know we're all saying the same thing. We're just kind of using different words, and and that's been you know what I've spent a lot of my time is just being able to make sure that I can communicate. Yeah, I know I got to run ten yards and break out, but when I come back to communicate with the coaches or the players or whoever, like I got to make sure I'm speaking their language because what I call a six route, they don't know what I'm talking about because that's the language that I've always talked in. So that, that responsibility falls on me to kind of rewire how I see football and how I talk football 
so that I can be on the same page with, with everybody else. That's, that's my responsibility. Olsen now has 13 seasons in the NFL. He was slowed a bit by injuries in 2017 and 2018. But overall, he stayed relatively healthy over his career. He's played in 90% of the games over those 13 seasons. He has 59 touchdown receptions, 8,444 receiving yards. Olsen was asked if he sees this as his last year or if there is potential for multiple years ahead before he closes out his NFL career. And Greg sounds like he doesn't see himself making a decision beyond the season until after the conclusion of the 2020 season. Yeah, my headspace right now is really singular uh, focused. Uh, you know, all my time and energy is really about having the best season I can have this year. I haven't, re- I haven't drawn any conclusions about what those opportunities are down the road. Um, you know, I, I haven't put a concrete ending to my career you know, personally, and, and, you know, I know other people probably have, and maybe some of you have, but my, uh, you know, my, my approach is I'm going to go out and try to have the best season I can this year. Um, and both individual, obviously as a team and individually, and, and what happens after that season, we'll take it again and, uh, and reevaluate like we have the last couple of years. I think when guys get to my stage of their career, it's really, let's take it one at a time. I think you start looking too far ahead and you start trying to plan the future too much and it can really become a, a distraction. It can really kind of distort it. So right now I'm trying to be the best player, the best teammate that I can be for 20, you know, for 2020. And um, anything past that will kind of reevaluate next year and, and go forward from there. Colby Parkinson and Stefan Sullivan both played tight end in college. The Seahawks added those players in the fourth and seventh rounds in the draft. So Wilson talks about his mindset when it comes to a team wanting to add young talent, much like the Seahawks did in the draft, and how he doesn't take that personally, but talks about how it's just not his style to back out of the way and make room for other players. Yeah, I've been around a long time. I've had a lot of guys drafted at my position. I've had guys sign big free agent deals at my position. Um, that's just the nature, that's just the nature of the business. You know, they're always going to try to find young guys, um, in the NFL, young equals cheap and young equals potential and old guys, not so much. So I get that. Um, that's never bothered me. I, you know, I, I have my approach and, you know, and it's, it doesn't matter who, what team it's on or what player it's never personal. If we all do well as a tight end group, you know, we're all going to move forward and we're all going to get better. But as far as how I approach my job, and it has nothing to do with who got drafted or who they are. They're all great guys and we're all on the same team. But, you know, I, I'm just, I just don't take – I'm not going to just take a back seat to a young guy and roll over and, and just say, hey, man, this is – you're the future and I'm just going to help you out. It's just, it's just not my style. You know, I'm, I'm here to play and I'm going to play every snap until they take me out, right? And, like, that's just – it's always how I've approached it, and uh, that's not going to change now. And then you, that if you don't approach it that way and you just come in and say, hey, I'm just going to carve out a nice little role, you're done. You're out. You know, you got to think, hey, this whole thing is mine until they start pulling the reins back because we have a lot – as you said, we have a lot of really talented guys in that tight end group. Everybody's going to have a role. Everybody's going to have their plays, their packages. Of course, that's, that's a sign of a good offense. And specifically a sign of a good tight end group. But um, it's not my job to like 
back out of the way and like make room for other guys. You know, that's on the coaches. I got to make it as hard as possible for them to take me out of the game. Considering the potential for a shortened offseason, reduced mini camps, how much time does Greg feel he needs to be able to get ready for the NFL season once they're able to get back on the field again and get into pads? Yeah, so I mean, unlike a lot of the guys, I've been through this before, you know, with the lockout year uh, where we just showed up to training camp and it was just roll the ball out and let's go, you know. So I've been used to, you know, training on my own and, and understanding what it takes to get myself ready for a season for a long time. Um, you know, I think the veterans probably have an easier, have a better, have a better chance to kind of operate in this environment just due to the fact that they understand what it takes. I think some of the young guys that really rely on that structure and really rely on that team kind of holding their hand and saying, all right, here's one steps, one, two, three, and we'll lead, we'll kind of guide you into training camp and make sure you're ready. I think that's going to be a challenge. Um, you know, you factor in the access to facilities and whatnot. I'm very fortunate here. Um, I have access to really good uh, facilities to train and, and, and personnel. So as far as that goes, I really haven't had a skip a beat. Um, you know, the, the one nice thing is, you know, you can't travel, you can't really do a whole lot. So you have no reason to miss your training, you know, in years past, obviously you have kids and family and, you know, just life going on and you're, you know, always working things out and trying to shuffle your schedule. Now you got nothing else. You have no excuse not to get your work in because you're in a rush to go nowhere. And um, this has been as good a training off season as I've had thus far. Um, I really enjoy being able to focus on myself and not kind of fall into, you know, sometimes the off season becomes a lot of football and not a lot of training. So in that regard, it's been nice. Um, as far as how much time it takes, I don't know. I, I'd be, I don't know. Whenever they tell us to show up for training camp, I'll show up and be fine. And I know if I can do it at 35, the 25 year olds better be able to do it too, you know? So I'm not worried about that. If they give us a couple weeks of camp, a preseason game or two or whatever, we'll be fine. And finally, with Cam Newton still a free agent, there's been a lot of speculation around his potential fit for a backup role in Seattle. But on Thursday, ESPN's Jeremy Fowler reported that Geno Smith and the Seahawks have agreed to terms for a one-year deal. So I think we should expect to see less speculation now on the former Panthers quarterback coming to Seattle. But here's Olsen on what he thinks about Newton and the situation his former quarterback is in right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been on the record a million times about, you know, what Cam has meant for my career and, and the relationship and the things we've been able to accomplish together over the last nine years. Um, you know, so it's hard for us who, who care about him and who have been through so much and know him so well, you know, to see him not signed yet. I think the timing of everything going on in the world and specifically as it pertains to, to our country and the NFL specifically, with him coming off the injuries was just really not ideal situation. You know, if he could have, if he would have been released a little earlier, you know, kind of like me, I was able to get out in front, come visit Seattle. Maybe Seattle doesn't sign me if I don't have a chance to go out there and meet them and then see me and do my physical and say, okay, this guy's fine. We like, you know, feel him out a little bit, you know, getting released after the lockdown was put in place, I think really limited his chances of, of teams, a seeing that he was healthy and B just having a conversation with your potential new quarterback. And I think that's been a challenge for him. Uh, I just hope that as things continue to open up and life sort of starts resembling some normalcy again, um, that he can start checking some of those boxes because he's he's just too good of a player to 
to not be on a team right now. And, um, you know, it's hard to, for so many of us that obviously have seen him up close and personal for a long time, it's hard to, you know, it's kind of hard to swallow, but, um, you know, we're kind of in uncharted waters right now, kind of weird times. And I think all of those factors have played into the current situation that he's in. And that does it for today's show. You know, I'm happy. This is the first show since the midpoint. Uh, some people would call it the Seahawks. Uh, the, the midpoint between the Seahawks' last game of last season and the first game of the 2020 season coming up September 13th. So th- this is important stuff with us now being to the first show just beyond that midpoint. So as we're ramping up to the 2020 season, be sure and go on over to fieldgoals.com. There's a note up there that the sentencing for linebacker Michael Kendricks has been postponed once again until sometime in that 2020 NFL season. And it is What If Week at SB Nation. And so check out the post from Mookie Alexander says, what if the Seahawks hadn't won the NFC West in 2010? That year, of course, was Pete Carroll's first year with the team. Also, Marshawn Lynch's first year with the team. And that was the season of the Beastquake, where the Seahawks took down the defending champion, New Orleans Saints, and a big playoff game. And it was it, it was very close the Seahawks in that uh, it took until the final game of that 2010 season and Charlie Whitehurst getting the win over the St. Louis Rams, a 16 to six game. They got the win. So if you want to relive some of that, hop on over to fieldgoals.com. Some other news up there as well. And I'll be back here next week with some more Seahawks talk. So until then go Hawks.